You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. It was really the beginning of the end of the Lord's earthly ministry. He stood alone in the garden. It was night, and he must have looked up on the hill and seen the torchlights coming toward him, and he must have heard the clatter of swords and and shields, and he'd been betrayed by a friend. And he knew what was to come. Tomorrow would be suffering in amazing ways, abuse, and then finally crucifixion. But because of his choice, because of his love, he was willing to drink the cup of suffering. He was willing to submit to the will of his father. And we can learn so much from the Lord's experience in the garden. And as we get closer to Easter now, we we step into the passion of Jesus as he walks to the cross. And today we go into the garden. And Jesus was committed to furthering the kingdom. And you know, as we watch him submit to his father, we can know that God's not interested in finding the most popular Christians or the most charismatic Christians. He doesn't need the most Bible-knowledgeable Christians. What God is looking for is people that are willing to submit, people that are willing to drink the cup of suffering, people that are willing to move the kingdom forward. And so the question I have to ask myself is, am I willing to give everything for the kingdom? Am I willing to raise my hand and say, you have all of me, even if it means suffering? And you have to answer that question too. Because at the end of the day, if you were to say, yes, I will do that, then your life will change. You will be empowered by God. You will find Him using you in brand new ways. And you will, in the end, be one of very few people that are willing to raise their hand and say, yes, I will drink the cup. And so let's lean in now to that text. Let's go to the book of John And we're going to begin today in chapter 18, verse 1. So if you have a Bible there with you today as you're watching, just go ahead and grab that Bible, or you can download on your phone or whatever you'd like to do, to John 18, and we're going to begin in verse 1. And so the way this is working is that Jesus has just completed his farewell discourse. And that means that he's been talking to his disciples about his imminent departure, though they didn't always understand. And then he did this amazing prayer in John 17, where he prayed for his disciples. And the love for his disciples came out during that prayer. But now he was alone. Now the end had come, and it happened in a familiar place. So let's look together at verses 1 through 3 in John 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, that's the discourse that John's talking about, He went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons." And so here, Jesus was willing to drink the cup 
of suffering. Sure, he was savior of the world. You would say, why would he do that? It was because of his immeasurable love and willingness to submit to the will of his father. Just to give you a picture of where this was all happening, this is what the Garden of Gethsemane looks like today. And some of these trees have been there for 2,000 years. It's possible that under these olive trees that Jesus prayed. And the, the actual name, Gethsemane, means oil press. And it was likely owned by a wealthy person who lent it out to the disciples. This is where they would come and they would camp and they would gather and where they came to pray. But on this night, it was a night of suffering. It was a night of horror. Jesus was about to drink the cup. Now, as Jesus looked up, he would have seen high above him these people beginning to descend from the city. This is the Kidron Valley, or as John puts it, Brook Kidron. And the way that the reason that that word brook would be there is because during the rainy season, water does gush through here. But this is the old city of Jerusalem. This is the garden down here. And Jesus would have seen it all coming toward him. And there he stood all by himself. No help from anyone. The disciples were really no help to him. And it must have been a sobering reality. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus was in control of the whole thing. And he used normal human beings like, like you and like me in order to make this all happen, in order to bring about the events that would allow him to die on a cross and give himself for sin, to allow him to carry the cup. So the first point I want to leave with you this morning is that you'll only be able to lift the cup with the help of Jesus. He's using us, but we are weak, <laughs> and we are in desperate need of Him. And so, if you want to pursue a life of submission, it must be at the hands of God and by His power. Now, there's a couple of notes here that are interesting when it comes to this story. Many people, when they talk about the crucifixion of Jesus, talk about how the Jews killed Jesus. And that's led to a lot of anti-Semiticism throughout church history. But the truth of the matter is, the Romans were the ones who crucified Jesus. And furthermore, and more to the point, it was your sin and my sin that put Jesus on the cross. And so we have no one to blame but ourselves. But yet, Jesus knew that. And, and he uses people like these guards and, and, and these soldiers and, yes, Judas to carry out his plan. Now, Judas is an interesting character. Of course, he's the villain of the story, but he's also a trusted confidant of Jesus as they move through the life of the disciples. He's the treasurer. If you went to the disciples and needed somebody to help you, it would be Judas. But like all of us, he can be tempted, and he was tempted by money. He, he sold Jesus out for money. And it's very much like what happened to the type of Jesus, David, who of course Jesus is a de descendant of. He was sold out by a friend, Ahithophel, who he trusted completely in the same area. And so this human weakness comes through, but 
it doesn't overcome God's sovereignty. In fact, God is using all of this human weakness to bring this moment together. But there is a good warning here for us. Though we may be walking with Christ and we may be biblically learned and we may be plugged into a church, none of us are above being lured away. None of us are above being tempted. And so as we walk with God, we must be careful to think that we have this because you and I are weak. We need God. We need to be in relationship with God. And the second amazing truth here, not only did Jesus know what was happening, and not only was he using human beings, but this means that if the cup comes to you, if the cup of suffering lands on you, you can carry it because God chose you to carry it. And I find this to be a really comforting truth because what it says to me is, it didn't land on you randomly, and, and, and I'm not being punished by God. And as we look here at verses 4 and 5, we see that Jesus was not surprised. He, he knew this was all coming. He willingly chose the cup. So verses 4 and 5, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. So their, their questions didn't surprise the Lord. All four Gospels tell us that Jesus knew what was going to happen. He was a volunteer bearer of the cup. And though John doesn't record that famous kiss of, of Judas, this is likely where it took place. And the reason John doesn't record it is likely because his goal of his gospel is to introduce Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And he's writing Christologically. He's not concerned as much about the tangential characters that are running around this narrative. He's more concerned about the evidence that's building up for the divinity of Christ. And so he sees this as an opportunity, this event in the garden, that the evidence becomes overwhelming because Jesus expected everything to happen. John said he knew what was going to happen to him. And so the questions didn't face him. The number of soldiers didn't face him. He willingly laid down his life. He chose to carry the cup. And he knew that the Father would be with him. And when we choose to carry the cup, we know that he is with us. Now, this evidence is amazing here because the question comes that they're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And what does he say? He says, I am he. That's all he said. Jesus was brief because he was introducing himself and he could carry the day by just being who he is. In Luke 23, 3, we see this with Pilate as well. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, you have said so. Not a lot of elaboration needed because this kind of thing didn't surprise Jesus. He was ready. And when that cup comes to you, because he's in control of all of this, you can be confident that he chose you to carry it and that he's confident that you are the one to carry it. And this is hard because none of us want this cup of suffering to land in our lives. But it is comforting to know that God is in control of all of that. 
And, and I always think back to Job. You know, we, we talk a lot about Job when it comes to suffering, but he's such a perfect example where, where God actually offered his name up. Well, have you considered my servant Job? Why did God do that? Because God knew that Job would be up to the task. God knew that Job would worship. God knew that Job would glorify him. And he knows that about you too. And likewise, you can trust God in the process. Not only is he trusting you with the cup, you can trust him. Because he is not going to leave you flailing out there all by yourself. In the midst of your suffering, he will walk alongside of you. And that can be a great comfort to us. He wouldn't give you the cup if he didn't trust you with it, and you can trust him. I mean, here he is staring down a cohort of Roman soldiers. That could have been anywhere from 200 to 1,000 men. Temple guards. I'm he. That's all I needed to say. So we have this powerful moment in the garden, and it becomes even more powerful when we see this lightning flash in verse 6. Look what he says. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back, and fell to the ground. Do you see what John's doing? John's proving that Jesus is Messiah, Son of God. And so this was a very important moment for him to record. And it's really an amazing moment because these are trained soldiers. The Romans, they weren't weak. And and this was a time of Passover. The city would have been packed. They would have gone looking for this insurrectionist. He was public enemy number one. They came into the garden. He says, I am he, and bam, they're on the ground. So that's the kind of power that we're dealing with here. And it's amazing power. And so the very fact that Jesus was about to drink the cup was awe-inspiring. And we have that same opportunity. Jesus can use the cup that is in your hand to inspire others. Because when the cup comes into our lives, it's a unique opportunity. Now, Jesus had long been teaching that he was the Son of God. That was considered blasphemy. That's why we're in the garden right now. That's why he's being arrested. But as the sound of the Lord's voice rang out, I am he. What they heard was the I am, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And they fell to the ground because there's no way that you can stand in the presence of the God of the universe. And so that power was introduced by John in order to introduce Jesus in the midst of this dark moment. And so when the cup of suffering comes into our lives, we have an opportunity then to move into the lives of of others. And we have such a unique opportunity right now because the cup of suffering has come to our world. It has come to our nation. It has come to our cities. And so we have an opportunity to to reach out and take care of our neighbors. We we have an opportunity to be calm and faith-filled. We have opportunities to introduce Jesus in the midst of all of this panic and darkness that surrounds us. And it's against that backdrop that Jesus will be seen. But we have the responsibility to introduce him in the midst of this darkness. But when it comes to your own personal life and your own personal suffering, you could see that as a gift because you will now have a mission field that no one else has. 
Because your suffering is different than everyone else. You may be in the same category as someone else, but your experience is unique. And so you know what happened between you and God. You understand that. But there are people all around you that need you to reach into their lives, and you can use this cup of suffering to touch them in a way that no one else can. And none of us like to do that. Nobody says, hey, God, could I please have suffering? But when it happens, we can use it. And I don't like using it. I find it difficult to continue to talk to parents about losing children. But they always say something to me. They always say, well, you're in the club. What does that mean? That means I have credibility with them. Or when I'm at someone's bedside and they're dying, and I look at the spouse and say, yeah, no, I've been here. And and they look at me and they say, oh, all of a sudden I have credibility in their eyes. And you have that too. And your cup of suffering can be used to inspire others. It can be used to introduce Jesus. And Maybe for you, it's a different arena. It's, it's people who are divorced or they're, or they're grieving or you're dealing with people in addiction or abused or, or, or they're dying. And you can say, man, I have been there and you have an opportunity that no one else has because the cup has come to you. And so Jesus has given you a cup that is for you to open doors to to help you find more of him and here in the garden he's he's awe inspiring these these soldiers fall to the ground because his introduction is powerful and you have an opportunity and i have an opportunity to do the same thing but sometimes when you're in the midst of suffering the cup is just too heavy to bear it's 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 terrible it's horrific and it's hard to get out of bed in the morning. I just talked to a man last week who is about a year out from losing his son. He said, I'm, I, I can't get up. And I said, it's okay. You don't have to. This is how hard it is to carry the cup. But what this next section will show us is that you're not carrying it alone. Jesus will carry the cup with you. He doesn't expect you to lug this thing around, lug this suffering around all by yourself because he knows that you can't do that. And if you look here at verses 7 through 9, we see that he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about his men, his children. So he asked them again in verse 7, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. And so it's amazing to see here that before Jesus is taken off into the dark night, into this prison where he would be tried and and mocked and beaten, he made sure that his disciples were safe. And he had talked to the Father about this in John 17. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Except for Judas, who walked away. But that was the plan all along. And this isn't simply a reference to eternal life. This is a temporal protection that Jesus was giving to his disciples because he knew that his cup was not their cup to carry. And he cared deeply about them. And he cares deeply about you. And sometimes I know that when the cup is with you, 
It doesn't seem like he cares about you. It seems like he's distant. It seems like it's unfair. It seems like it hurts too much, but he does care. And he's protecting you. And you may not even see that protection. If you've had a close call on the highway, every now and then you get a glimpse of, wow, that could have been it. And that was the protection of God. Or, or, or that doctor he provided for you that you say, well, that was a miracle. We say that all the time. Well, that's God's protection. And even now in the midst of this outbreak, he's protecting you because he loves you, because he knows the cup of suffering is hard. But be careful because sometimes the cup is so heavy and so difficult that it blocks our view of God. And we tend to lose our faith or we tend to get angry and bitter and we're not effective for him anymore. And so the, the cup can come, but he, he has a plan for you. He's watching out for his own because he has the power to do that. He's the, he's the son of God. And he chose you to carry this cup. And he wants to carry it with you so you can count on him. Because at the end of the day, when the cup of suffering was offered to him, he took it and he drank it. Look at verses 10 and 11. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Now, I love Peter. We, we all love Peter. He, he's so brash. And sometimes he looks so ridiculous. And sometimes he's so honorable. And in this case, his goal was to cut off the head of the servant. And he was even a bad swordsman but not recorded in John, but recorded in another gospel, Jesus came over and replaced that ear. And he rebuked Peter because this wasn't Peter's cup to carry. This is the Lord's cup to carry. And he was carrying it because this was his choice. He, he said, shall I not drink the cup the Father has for me? You see, Jesus sets the pace. Jesus is the example for us. We're not out there on our own treading new territory. We simply fall in line behind our Savior, our leader, Jesus Christ. And so the question that we ask ourselves is, Jesus drank the cup, and so can I, but will you? Will you drink the cup? Because for Jesus, when he, when he drank the cup, for him it meant illegal trials and it meant beating and it meant abuse of all kinds, mocking, untold pain, death, separation from his father. That's a hit on the prosperity gospel. But Jesus was willing to do that. And he didn't deserve any of it because he didn't do anything wrong. You and I, we've sinned. This world we live in that's so broken, it's our fault. But Jesus didn't do anything wrong. He accepted the cup because he loves you. He accepted the cup because he wants to usher you into eternal life. What's John's point of his gospel? Is so you know Jesus. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you said, I want to be a follower of Jesus? Which simply means that you believe that he's the son of God. That you repent of that sin you know is in your heart. And you allow him to forgive you. And then he, in turn, provides new life for you and eternal life. So, 
I want to make this really personal now. Will you embrace the cup when it comes to you? As I see it, there are two choices that we can make. When the cup comes, we can either run, pretend it's not there, deny it, or we can embrace it and we can drink from it. But the problem is when we, when we drink from it, that means we have to live in it. We have to stare it down. We, we, we have to use it to help others, and that's painful. And it's easier sometimes just to pretend it's not there, but we're being called to drink the cup of suffering. You know, we have a, an opportunity right now that most Christians would only dream of to help others around us who ha don't have the hope of Christ, who are carrying a cup of suffering. You have noticed that the world is panicking right now. The world is scared right now. And what we need to do as a church, and I mean church universal, what we need to do as believers is we need to stop being political. We need to stop denying that this is happening. We need to stop pointing fingers of blame and start looking around and for opportunities for people that will accept and deal with the fact that Jesus is in this. And it can be extremely practical. I mean, if you're in a Costco line, you're probably there for three hours. You can get the whole city saved. But what about that person that's next to you? What an easy conversation to have. Hey, this is crazy, isn't it? Oh, man, I've never seen anything like this. Well, how do you feel about that? Oh, I don't know. Like, I get, you know, and boom, you're right into a conversation. You're talking to someone at school. Well, I see the kids are off school on Wednesday. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not sure what we're going to do with the kids. Well, how can I help you? There's a conversation. Or you have, someone, you have someone in your sphere of influence that is elderly and they're afraid to walk into a store. And you can say, may I drop groceries at your steps? What do you need? This is a time when we need to step up because the world is carrying a cup of suffering and sorrow. And so you have an opportunity to do that. And if you're willing to take the cup that God has given you in your own life, then you will find yourself with a brand new life. You'll be empowered. You'll have hope. You'll have a reason to live. You'll hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, which is the words we all want to hear. And you'll be one of the very few, the very few, who are willing to say, I will drink from the cup. Let me pray for you right now. God, I thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, into the world in order to give us eternal life. Father, for all those who believe in him, we can live forever. We can, we can embrace suffering in a way that others can. And Lord, Lord, we need to reach out and find out who those people are. And God, when suffering comes to us, we want to run. Help us to embrace it. And I know there are those right now that are suffering immensely. And this isn't a game it's not a theoretical concept. It's real. It hurts. It's life-changing. And they're not sure they want to drink this cup. And Lord, I pray that you would assure them and nurse them along and just show your love to them. And may we be a church, God, that welcomes those who are struggling so they might heal and find traction and find more of you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. 
For more faith-based resources or information about Richwood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.